So let me ask you this, sir. Since we have all this rain outside giving us this nice background ambiance tonight. When you shave your genitals, do you use just like a normal hair clippers? Or do you like to go old Sweeney Top barber demon just razor blade straight razor just to the nutsack never straight razor (laughs) (laughs) no cream no butter nothing straight raw normally it's like you know the the trimmers to get where you need it to be then sometimes in the crevices like i just i got like one of those like like dollar razors like you, you could just get a pack of and you know you know lather it up a little bit so it's just not raw in it you know you want to leave some skin you know what? I don't, I don't know why I brought that up. I'm sorry. I apologize. Started us off on the wrong foot. Speaking of feet. I just wonder why the rain got you there. Well, no, skip all that. Speaking of the feet, the Bigfoot fiction, the Bigfoot erotica. <laughs> oh, yeah. $30,000 a month you make writing Bigfoot fuckbooks. Who's buying that for one? Well, didn't like a governor or something like not too long ago got busted for being into that shit? Probably. I mean, well, would you rather have your governor be into that or crack cocaine? That's a tough one. Depends. Like, which, like which one are you more like, are oh, really about when, it, when the news gets broken? I feel like the crack cocaine governor would most likely, at some point, if his crack cocaine habit was bad enough, would probably start stealing your money Yeah. to fund his crack habit. The guy with the uh, bestiality fetish, maybe not so much. Or mythical bestiality, I guess. I don't know. Our episode's going to be too classy today to talk about this anymore. I mean, it's probably not going to be classy. I mean, we have classy episodes? I don't... I think we had, like, one that you could almost consider classy, or at least mid-range brow. Oh, professional, maybe? No, no, never professional. Not awful? Is that (laughs) that the right terminology? Not terrible? Not good, right? Can't be... Meh, I think great. Listenable. <laughs> I think people gain something from this podcast. And if anything, they at least go back home or wherever they are when they're listening to this and they go, you know what? I can start a podcast. These fucking guys can yeah, do it. Man. I can do it. And I say, go for it. But you know what? You have to go through all the growing pains we did, which is, uh, I don't know, learn fucking spending money and shit, doing stuff and touching each other in the night <laughs> i didn't say it was me and you I no. he, made a, he made a face like it could have been anybody. this is what people are gonna think <laughs> they always think Spencer. that's what i'm saying everywhere dude. we go they think they think nasty th- i think it's you more than me <laughs> why, is it, why is it more me i don't know we went to that three rivers con that guy came up to you before he came up to me it's like your partner over yeah. there my feelings are hurt now I never get to... I always got to be the top. <laughs> I think I feel like that's what it is. <sighs> How is everybody doing? You are listening to the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. I am your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Manitoba Mauler Church. I sound, that's like, I sound like a wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, you're like a Canadian wrestler. That's where Manitoba is, right? Canadian province? I believe so, yeah. Sounds right. Not really applicable for this episode, but whatever. It's like the exact opposite. Yeah. Because we're going... 
We're going to the jungles. Probably this, the and this is what we had. If we had uh, money, that's whenever the, uh, the 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 journey into the jungle sound would start kicking in, you know? Like, but we <laughs> <Yeah>. don't... <laughs> money. We could just go on YouTube and find a, a clip of jungle sounds. Well, if you read the title and I haven't made the title ridiculous, which is mm-hmm. very plausible. I've been doing that lately. Like, you read the title and it doesn't give you much of an inkling or, like, an idea of what the episode is going to be about. Today we're doing the top 10 contemporary African writers you should know. This is by our friends at Culture Trip. So probably not going to be, uh, I'd imagine none of these authors came from the jungle. That's No. It's probably racist to say. Yeah. Rude. I don't, like, we say Africa, but I feel like that's kind of a stupid thing to say because that's just saying, like, top 10 writers of America or North America. Like, that. there's more than one country. Yeah. Like, Africa is so many countries, and it's just Africa, the whole continent of Africa. Just, I feel like you could do top 10 authors of South Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll, we'll hop into this because it just starts off with some words, and I'm not going to read those words. Oh, no. Women's you, rights and feminism in this world. If you want to know those, you go to the article that we're checking out. Yeah, we'll and read it yourself. Link that in the show notes. Always read the article. Don't listen to us. This isn't in any kind of order, sir. This isn't the article I plan on reading, by the way. I don't remember what that one was, so I just clicked on this one. But it looks good. So, in no particular order, Chinua Akabe. And before we start, I'm so happy you do the names on these things. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do them? I, well, I, have, I just have trouble with normal, like, English-sounding names most of the time. So then when it comes to, like, these foreign names, mm-hmm. and then... No, no matter how to pronounce it wrong, it's going to sound very, like that would have sounded very racist yeah. coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and I wouldn't even have meant, like, I wouldn't have meant it that way. I just, I can't pronounce things. You'd be saying like a British guy's name wrong. You'd be like, Brinkte Smythe. Yeah. Brent Smith. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, New Heyman. <laughs> New Gaiman? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> All right. Just, uh, I, I guess I should preface this by saying, um, I apologize for the mispronunciation of these uh, names I'm about to say, because I'm just going to say them how I think they sound. Because I, like we've went over this before, I could do Japanese names, Russian names to a degree, but I have no idea the phonetic language of any African countries. I don't, I just, I'm an ignorant white guy. Need to step my game up. That's why we're reading this. Because we want to learn about African authors, because I feel like that's a very underrepresented Represented, and I can't really think other than like some comic book writers of just an uh, African American, even like American African American authors, right? That I've really read, you know. It's a tough racket to get into in Africa, I would think. But again, can the list be that long? Not diminishing any African countries, it's just a lot of them you don't think of like writers, you think of musicians, maybe artists. But I don't, I never really imagine writers unless they, like, you get, like, a lot of Nigerian writers who move to, like, Britain or yeah. New York or something. But, like, I'm, I'm assuming this is African writers who live in, in Africa. Africa. Anyway, Chinua Akabe. The fuck, Spencer? Turn off your phone. It's on silent. You're besmirching Mr. Akabe or... It's on silent. Miss Akabe, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if this is a... But it's still vibrating so loud. Throw your phone out the window. Okay. Just snap it in half. But Caleb, I was using it to read the article. <laughs> Chinua Akabe. Mispronounced that seven times in a row now. 
One of the world's most widely recognized and praised writers, well, I feel like an ass, <laughs> Tinua Akbe wrote some of the most extraordinary works of the 20th century. His most famous novel, Things Fall Apart, 1958, I've actually heard of that, so I should know this person, is a devastating depiction of the clash between traditional tribal values and the effects of colonial rule, as well as the tension between masculinity and femininity in highly patriarchal societies. Akabe is also a noted literary critic, particularly known for his passionate critique of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which I have read and I completely would get the critiques of that shitty book, <laughs> in which he accuses the popular novel of rampant racism through its othering of the African continent and its people. Yes, Heart of Darkness was super racist because you got 1800s adventurer guys or colonizers going into the Congo. Just imagine how he'd probably described the people of the Congolese. No, that it was... Now, was it also not good, like written well, or... Is no, it I mean, it's written excellently if you like that fucking flowery, hard-to-read style that was so prominent back then. Because, like, I remember you saying before about Hunter H. Thompson's stuff was kind of racist. Or not Hunter, not Hunter, um, H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, but his wasn't, for the most part, overt. Like, this was like, you know, just big lips, savages cry. type of talk. Like, shit, you're like, really, dude? But, I mean, at the same time, the 1800s, and that's, everybody's racist, apparently. Or at least I'm led to believe. I don't think it's Chinua. I think it's Chinua. What do you think, Spencer? Chinua. That almost sounds Japanese, though. Well, C-H-I-N-U-A, and then Akabe. A-C-H-E-B-E. Next up, how would you pronounce that if you had to give it a shot? I don't, I don't even want to... Is it the N in the middle? Like, that middle name, or... Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. It's too long. It's very long. I find you find that a lot with like foreigner names that they're so like they're like a couple inches long. Like your name shouldn't be that. <laughs> shouldn't take up most of a ruler. Spanish names are the worst because they have like eighteen middle names. Um, I'm assuming this is a Nigerian name. It sounds Nigerian. Usually like the N G O Z I type of words. But Chimana, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, born in Nigeria, there you go, in 1977, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is part of a new generation of African writers taking the literary world by storm. Ooh, this is a younger man. Adichie's works are primarily character-driven, interweaving the background of her native Nigeria and social and political events into the narrative. So she is not a young man. <laughs> She's a lady, and I'm sorry. Very nice lady. <laughs> Starting off so bad. Her novel, Purple Hibiscus, 2003, is a Bildungstrom... What the fuck is that word? Bildungstrom... Stroman? Oh. B-I-L-D-U-N-G-S-R-O-M-A-N. Never heard of that word in my life. There's too many letters. <laughs> uh, her novel, Purple Hibiscus, is a building shaman depicting the life experience of a Kimberly and her family during a military coup, while her latest work, Americana 2013, is an insightful portrayal of Nigerian immigrant life and race relations in America and the Western world. Adichie's works have been met with overwhelming praise and have been nominated for and won numerous awards, including the Orange Prize and Booker Prize. So she is acclaimed. I just, I got a headache now from reading all these words I'm not familiar with. Because the Americana is spelled with the H at the end. It's not like the Spanish Americana, by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to from now on leave out the gender in my descriptions until I read the gender because I, 
Like, these are first names, last names. I don't fucking know. Yeah, I guess how when you get into languages you don't know because you don't know what's like a proper like last name. Yeah, or, or like what's a Kevin over there? Like in the African country, what's what's just a simple like John? Could be this guy, this name. I don't know. Ai Kwe Arma. Ai Kwe Arma's novels are known for their intense, powerful depictions of political devastation and social frustration in Arma's native Ghana, told from the point of view of the individual. His works were greatly influenced by French existential philosophers such as Jean Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, and as such hold themes of despair, disillusionment, and irrationality. His most famous work, The Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born, 1968, centers around an unnamed protagonist who attempts to understand himself and his country in the wake of post-independence. <clears throat> I'm seeing a theme with a lot of these, too. It's kind of like, hey, Whitey, get the fuck out of here. I was just going to say, um, from, from these, at least from these first couple of names, the, the, uh, like the material that they write about is different. And, and it would make sense about... Uh, like just like the old uh, cause that part of the the world, like there's a lot of terrible shit going on a lot of times, like you know. Well, yeah, and colonialism just completely ruined Africa. Yeah. Even to this day, now you've got the Chinese going in, starting uh, like mines and buying all kinds of property and shit, and it's the Africans who always suffer. It's very different than like the <clears throat> stuff that we write about, as you know, younger. White males that were just like, oh, this weird, like, kind of horror, funny thing. And yeah. their, their story evolves about, like, overthrowing warlords that are murdering everybody and the, how terrible the government is. Yeah, I mean, we like to complain about the government in this country, but it's uh -huh. no, I mean, we all have houses and, you know, we don't have to go to the, the store with a million dollars to buy a loaf of bread, like, because inflation hasn't blown up. Like, we have a functioning society. But a lot of these people do not. Next up, Mariama Ba. One of Africa's most influential women authors, Mariama Ba is known for her powerful feminist text, which addressed the issues of gender inequality in her native Senegal and wider Africa. Ba herself experienced many of the prejudices facing women. She struggled for an education against her traditional grandparents and was left to look after her nine children after divorcing a prominent po politician. Jesus Christ, nine? <laughs> yeah. Her anger and frustration at the patriarchal structures which defined her life spill over into her literature. Her novel, So Long a Letter, 1981, depicts simultaneously its protagonist's strength and powerlessness within marriage and wider society. That would be an interesting take, too, because, again, you know, we have feminists in this country, but, like, in Africa, they're fighting for a lot different things yeah. than, we, like, over here. They're fighting for just actual basic human rights. Versus That's here, it's a lot more... Uh, you know, that, that battle's already been won. Now they're fighting for different things. Oh, I'll let you do this one, Spencer. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we have, coming up, Nerudin Farah. Nerudin. It sounds like, to read that properly, you need to stutter. Like It sounds like I need to be... It sounds like I need to be, like, part shitty motorcycle. You know, like, uh, you know who would probably do a good uh, job reading this is, uh... Is the the teacher from that Keenan Kale skid? Yeah. A R R R. Nurudin Nurud N U R U D D I N Farah, born in Somalia in 1945, Nurudin Farah has written numerous plays, novels, and short stories, all of which revolve around his experiences of his native country. The title of his first novel, From a Crooked Rib, 1970, stems from a Somalian proverb. 
God created woman from a crooked rib, and anyone who treeth to straighten it breaketh it. And is a commentary on the sufferings of women in Somalian society through the narrative of young women trapped in an unhappy marriage. His subsequent his work <laughs> his works feature similar social criticism dealing with themes of war and post-colonial identity. I don't have a job like reading and like the kids or something. Uh, I know that word too. I just can't say it. Subsequent, subsequent, <laughs> subsequent. It's one of those words that like you in your head. You 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 have it fine. That's one of those words. I'm in like a real conversation with somebody, and I try to bust out to sound smart. And I'm just subsequent, subsequent, subsequent. Fuck, you say that word. I want to hear you say it, Spencer. Just say it once. Hold on. Sub, subsequent. Subsequent. I feel like there's an extra S on not. There's not, though. Subsequent. Subsequent. There it is. Subsequent. Got it. Nailed it. New word in my vocabulary. Subsequent. Five, minute, five minutes later. <laughs> I'm not going to remember that. Subsequent. I never use that word because it's one of those words you can't say. Oh, uh, yeah, obviously. Next up. Aminata Forna. Ooh, that sounds a little naughty. Forna. And then we're going to go into the worst description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Writing about her parents being murdered. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Aminata Forna, born in Glasgow but raised in Sierra Leone. Aminata Forna was, first drew attention for her memoir, The Devil That Danced on Water, in 2003. That's a nice title. I, I like a lot of these titles they come Like, The Crooked Rib was a cool title, too. An extraordinarily brave account of her family's experiences living in war-torn Sierra Leone. And in particular, her father's tragic fate as a political dissident, Forna has gone on to write several work, several novels, each of them critically acclaimed. Her work, *The Memory of Love* (2010), juxtaposes personal stories of love and loss within the wider context of the devastation of the Sierra Leone Civil War, and was nominated for the Orange Prize for Fiction. There's some African ladies we need to start reading up on. Yeah, got some quality work out there. Here's another one: Miss Nadine Gordimer. Like a more, that's I think a more normal pronounce a pronounceable name for me anyway. One of the apartheid era's most prolific writers, Nadine Gordimer's works powerfully explores social, moral, and racial issues in a South Africa under apartheid rule. Despite winning a Nobel Prize in literature for her prodi prodigious skills in portraying a society interwoven with racial tensions, Gordimer's most famous and controversial works were banned from South Africa for daring to speak out against the oppressive governmental structures of the time. Her novel, Burger's Daughters, follows the struggles of a group of anti-apartheid activists and was read in secret by Nelson Mandela during his time on Robben Island. So she won a, a Nobel Prize in literature. That's a big-ass deal. Yeah, that don't happen too often. No, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for, some, for most authors. I mean, if they're lucky. Next up, Elaine Mankabaku. Oh, wow. <laughs> this sounded, didn't sound good coming from me. But that's what it sounds like, though. It's got to be, right? Elaine Mabanaku? Mabanku. It's a, it, it looks almost like a name like you'd see in an anime, almost. Yeah, Elaine Mabanku. I think that's it, Mabanku. The CK is a combination we've never, yeah. like, we don't have, really, unless it's, like, Czech. Yeah. Like, there's few words that use the CK, but not, at, like, not with the OU at the end. Also, whoever wrote this article didn't have a name. 
I uh, don't appreciate that you got to throw their whole name into the description of their books, too. It's like <laughs> I keep saying it. Originating from the Republic of Congo, Elaine Mabanku works are written primarily in French and are well known for their biting wit, sharp satire, and insightful social commentary into both Africa, Africa and African immigrants in France. His novels are strikingly character-focused, often feature an ensemble cast of figures such as his book Broken Glass, which focuses on a former Congolese teacher and his interactions with the locals in the bar he frequents, or his novel Black Bazaar, which details the experiences of various African immigrants in an Afro-Cuban bar in Paris. Now, this sounds very interesting, but um, I'm wondering how the French translations to English would be. With, like, African names and African themes. I don't know how well that would go across. It might be something we have to check out. Yeah, we say that, but... Have you read any of those Irish books we were supposed to read? Oh, how about some of those Japanese, Japanese authors? You did, though, right? Didn't you read one that, that, one, that one book? Was it from that list? Yeah, or? I read the Japanese authors, I, at least one of them. I did not read the, the Irish one. Didn't get that far. Somebody made me read Stephen King. Are you disappointed at anything yet? Maybe. You don't know. Next up, Ben Okri. Ben Okri's childhood was divided between England and time in his native Nigeria. Now, I don't know much about Nigeria, but that's got to be a culture shock if you're living in England and then you go to Nigeria. Yeah. And why is it there's so many Nigerians that go to, like, England? Because, like, most uh, black people in England are Nigerian or of Nigerian descent. Maybe, um... And I'm no geologist of where things are. Are they close by, maybe? Like, is it like one of those things where it's like... I think you meant geographer. Geologist studies dirt. Whatever. (laughs) Everybody uh, lives on dirt. (laughs) um, I don't know. It's still got to be pretty far. I mean, is it one of those, like, deals, like... um, Say, like, you know, a lot of people from, you know, just like if it's bad there, that's an easy place for you to go. That's, you know, they must, yeah, they must have something. Maybe there's, I don't know, again, the colonialism. I'm not sure how that works. Anyway, Ben Okri's childhood was divided between England and time in his native Nigeria. His young experience greatly informed his future writing. His first highly acclaimed novels, Flowers and Shadows, 1980, and The Landscapes Within, 1981, were reflections on the devastation of the Nigerian Civil War, which Okri himself observed firsthand. His later novels met with equal praise, The Famished Road, 1991, which tells the story of Azaro, a spirit child, is a fascinating blend of realism and depictions of the spirit world and won the Booker Prize. I'd like to read that. I kind of like uh, books that have that almost like a, either like a mystical or supernatural yeah. feel to them, but they still have like it's it's based in re- like a Haruki Murakami always does that. It's like realistic fantasy, I would guess you say, because you have these fantastical moments in like themes and things that are in the book, but it's set in real world. So, you know, you have a guy going through his daily life. But, you know, you have some like fucked up shit on the yeah. side, but it's still like you're it's like it almost could like happen to you. I like things like that, so that's what that kind of sounds like. Ah, fucking... Uh, you son of a... Wow! <laughs> oh, man! Try saying that first one without sounding terrible. Yeah, where's this guy from? This has got to be... This has got to be like Swahili or something. That's one of those... 
That's one of those, like, just throw letters at the board. Well, you know what it is? It's it's the last one, so they gotta save the best name for last. Uh, now, I, I know how to say the NG in, I think it's, uh, is it Korean, Vietnamese? Like, like N-G-U-Y-E-N is, like, Guyan or something like that. But I don't think that would be... I'm just going to say it. N-G-U-G-I. Nguigi? Nguigi wa Thiongo? Thiongo I could do. Nguigi wa Thiongo. Oh. It's got like a po- Why does it have the apostrophe? Yeah. <laughs> Nguigi wa Thiongo. Nguigi wa Thiongo is one of Africa's most important, influential, post-colonial writers. Again, these guys are just... Or these writers are just so acclaimed and... Probably better than a lot of writers I've read so far in my life, and I can't even say their goddamn names. Yeah. That's probably that's another reason why we probably don't read so much of them, because most writers have like a name you can like it just sticks in your head. Yeah, like trying to you know remember Nagugi Wathiongo, and again that's just a well. Again, yeah, could you imagine going up to like you know like the Bond to know be like, do you have any new Wathiongo books that I could get off of you? And they're just like, what? Did you just have a stroke? What? The- <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I feel bad because, I mean, that's just kind of a Western society or yeah, ign- American ignorance. I, yeah, ignorance on our part. But again, I mean, I'm sure if you go, like my last name, if I went over to, uh, um, you know, like an African-speaking country or an Asian country, they probably have trouble saying it. Yeah. Uh, my last name's not James, folks. <gasps> the secret's out. Oh, no. Well, if you see my uh, my author name, it's Caleb James K. I, I, I throw that K on there because it's... Maybe that'll be the giveaway. Find out Caleb's real name. No, because I don't want people stalking me. That is not the giveaway, folks. Shit, we got to come up. We'll do that next episode. We got time. Anyway, Mr. Nagugi. Could it be Nagugi? Nagugi? Sounds better. Nagugi wa Thiongo. He began his writing career with novels written in English, which nevertheless revolved around post-colonial themes of the individual and the community in Africa versus colonial powers and cultures. Wathiongo was imprisoned without trial for over a year by the government for the staging of a politically controversial play. After his release, he committed, a, uh, he committed to writing works only in his native Giguki and Swahili, citing language as a key tool for decolonizing the mindset and culture of African readers and writers. It's fucked up you go to jail for a year without a trial for making a play like we really take advantage of our freedoms in this country because people complain about so much but over there you can't even just write a play without getting in fucking trouble because it goes against the government and it's not even like you're uh the play that you're writing or it'd be like super against they could probably just have like the very most limited thing against it like you know and it did that gets you a year it's like i just i said i didn't like that guy in the play uh yeah I feel like we, uh, I honestly, I kind of want to read, I think, almost all of these books. Yeah, they seem interesting. Yeah, and I mean, they're such acclaimed books. And a lot. Uh, what I like, too, is a lot of these are modern. Yeah. There's definitely seems like a big resurgence of uh, African writers, you know, because it seems like it goes from like the 50s, 60s, and then it kind of goes to the 2000s. I don't think any of these were dated in the 80s or 90s that I saw. No, there was a couple, like, 80s and 90s in there. Was there? Well, regardless, um, I I always want to read more modern fiction, but I just never find modern fiction that is... Uh, Worth it? Yeah. 
I mean, you got your, like, your Stephen King's, Neil Gaiman's type stuff, but, you know, I'm a literary fiction guy at heart, so I like to read some, some classy shit. But modern writing is, I don't know, it's lackluster in a lot of, a lot of instances, but I find a lot of, like, Vietnamese and African writers are usually on the, uh, like, the Pulitzer Prize or the Nobel Prize, like, top list. Like, they're in, always in the running, so I'm thinking American writers are really, really lagging behind. And I think that a lot of has to do with uh, maybe just the kind of entertainment we take in now. And then, and also, like you were saying earlier, you know, they're having fucking wars with the government yeah. and civil wars and shit now. And what do we have? We got, oh, fucking the president's orange and he's a dickhead. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is not good, but... At least we, I mean, whether you like him or not, we, you know, he was voted in. Unlike... Uh, uh, probably a lot of these African countries, I'd imagine their fucking dictator type rulers are not voted in, or at least not. Uh, you you become pr- you beca- actually voted in. You become the president by taking the head of the guy who was the president before you. Pretty much. I would like to hear the fans send us their best pronunciation of some of these names. Yes, you, you need to go to the article and uh, and check it out and see what you can think of. What would you do if, like, somehow we found out I nailed every pronunciation of every name I've ever read on this show? That good on you, then. I can't even read subsequent. Subs- <laughs> subsequent. I can't even read the word subsequent. It's a fucking hard word. The Q. It's the Q, man. I need to uh, up my reading skills or my, my oratory skills. That's what we should do. Start volunteering at, like, the local library. Read to kids. Build up our reading skills out loud. I, I don't think they go to the libraries anymore. Shut up, the poor kids do, because where do they go to the bathroom? Yeah, fair point. <laughs> they need to get that on the internet. Where do they wash? Maybe not the kids, but there's a lot of homeless gentlemen that go there. If they're homeless by choice, you ever wonder if the people around here are homeless by choice? Because I feel like a lot of them are. Yeah. Like, not <laughs> even just like hobos by making bad choices that led to them being homeless. Just like. You know what? I'm fine sleeping in a car for a couple months. Like just things like that. It seems like we get to get that. Well, we've talked about this before. Like just like, sometimes with work, I'll just be like, you know what? I just I will live under a bridge. Like, yeah. And then fucking to deal with this goddamn job, needing to pay for things. You know, fuck it all. I just, yeah, I live under a bridge. If you think about our existence, it's kind of bullshit. Because I don't know about your situation, but my situation for the I mean, I do travel and do cool shit from time to time. But, like, at the base, especially, like, all throughout my whole 20s, I literally just worked shitty jobs to pay for a place to live so and pay for a car and bills and shit like that just so I can get to work. Yeah. Like, my main thing was, like, okay, I am paying so I can work and I'm working to pay so I can get to work. Like, it's fucking stupid. Like, if I was just a hobo under a bridge, I mean, granted, I'm not going to have any money to do shit, but at the same time... I'm kind of free. I'm, and you, I'm sure you'd find adventures. Yeah. Well, you'd find, find hobo adventures. adventures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm kind of jealous of, like, the bindle stiffs of yesteryear that were able to ride the, ra- like, the tra- uh, the trains. Yeah. Ride the rails. Because we can't do that now. There's really no rails to ride. Like, I just want, like, I, you read, uh, like, Dharma Bums by uh, Kerouac. It's just, like, him fucking hitching a ride to, on a train from, like, Mexico or to Mexico, going through California, just all this shit. Just drinking wine. Yeah. Getting crazy stories from bums. See, that sounds like a cool life. Interesting. Like, I think the goal was somehow like build your stacks and then go be a bum. 
Oh, so you just have that. And so then, you still have money. It's like, oh, I don't feel like sleeping in, like, oh, I'm in Colorado. It's a fucking blizzard. I'm just going to go stay at a five-star hotel for yeah. the night. We're talking nonsense. Yeah. Our white privilege is showing. Uh, but to get kind of back on topic, I think a lot of these, um, it would do us good to to read some of uh, these other authors to really get a different perspective on on a writing style and the different things. Yeah. Though I also feel like we couldn't write these kind of stories. Like we can't write with the same like the themes they have because obviously we would be on the wrong side of the colonialism. Like we can't write about you know like say yeah say like if we wrote a story about you know these white foreigners coming in and you know taking over these villages and all the all the murder and all that stuff does that just make us look more douchebaggy because we're not like is it, is that almost like a form of a cultural appropriation there um is there has that re- it has depends that- how you wrote the story like again for us they say if you I wrote- feel like it wouldn't work like even if you wrote it in the like the of um the 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 people of the village like from their point of view and them trying to take back what's theirs uh un, you know I'm not trying to say write it like that one that what we were talking about earlier that guy who was really racist about like how he described like you know the oh uh, Joseph Conrad yeah like nothing like that like but from the point of view of the people in the villages and if them, you wanted to write a story about you know maybe go like a Steinbeck Grapes of Wrath style, like a, you know, Steinbeck wrote about a family during the Dust Bowl and they lose their farm and they're trying to find a better life in California. Well, you could write maybe the African version of that, you know, an African family going through a famine and maybe the fucking, you don't even have to have the whiteies come in and take over Mm -hmm. shit. Maybe you're just writing about Africans going through a famine, trying to find a better, you know, life and they have to deal with fucking Somalian pirates, whatever it is. I feel like I don't think we could write that story. Well, and that well, it's not even so much if we could. I'm more wondering on within the way today's age of would like the audience would you be allowed almost? Yeah, would they? Would they? Uh, yeah, like you said, allow you to even like would they buy that or would they just automatically like, you can't write about that kind of stuff, Whitey? And this is coming from other white people, of course. Yeah. It's not like it's other, like, you know, other African-Americans or people from Africa or anything saying it. It's well, got to be other white people saying that. Well, that's why. Speaking I, for them, you know. I had kind of an issue where I really wanted to write, like, a f- cool samurai adventure story. Like, ancient samurai story. Almost like, uh, kind of like that Vagabond series. No. Something like that. Or like, Musashi. But I kind of want, I mean, Japanese people don't seem to give a shit. Like, when they don't have, like, we steal their culture and they get mad. It's not really a thing over there. But, because uh, they like when people, you know, appreciate their culture. But over here, it's the white people that get real pissed off yeah. when you do that. And that would be our, our audience. Half the time, it's not even the people's culture that you're, quote, unquote, stealing that get super upset about. Yeah. It's, it's just other white people. Have you... Have you read something that was written by, you know, say some cracker-ass cracker about a topic that you felt maybe they shouldn't have been writing about? I mean, if you're... Let's let's step it back as, you know, heterosexual white males. If we wrote about gay African-Americans, is that a line we'd be crossing? I, I feel like we could have that person be a character... 
it, but they couldn't be the protagonist yeah. in the story. Yeah, like I think like that could be like our character's friend who you know you can said you know can be a part of the story. But I don't know if we could get away with just yeah, like you said, being the protagonist of the main person of that story without. Well, here's my issue with that way of thinking, though. Say you want to write about the struggle of some like you're trying to either bring light to a certain struggle or you just want to write about something and use your imagination as a writer. It's fine if the characters are like you, the author, but if they vary to different cultures or, you know, different races or something, then you have an issue. Like, when does creativity break off? And and it's too bring up a word that shouldn't be used with this stuff but like segregating the because then now you like we've talked about it before so like these african authors can they only write yeah about african stories can they write about what it's like to be a white jewish man in manhattan um i mean it might not be good because they might not know but if you're creative enough yeah and if, if you know yeah, enough about the culture yeah you definitely should be able to i mean that's 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 where i'm tripping up here is because uh you know, say you wanted to write about how the Chinese in, you know, the beginning of the United States of America were forced to build the railroads, essentially. If you wanted to write that story, I mean, that's almost a historical story, but you're not Asian and you didn't live that and your family didn't live that. Or is that if it's in the past far enough, it doesn't matter as much? I don't know. What I would be interested to see, because like how you talked about like the Japanese culture and stuff like that, how they... You know, like other people, like I'd want to see what would happen if, like, a a white person went over there and tried to uh, write some like manga or something like that. How that would be? I don't think it would be a problem as long as it was good. Yeah, if it was good, that kind of makes me think of, like that Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai. But you know, everybody made fun of it, thinking, "Oh, you know, why is the white guy?" But he wasn't the last samurai. I never saw it, but from my understanding, Tom Cruise's character was not the last samurai. No, it wasn't Whitey saving the day or whatever. I don't know. I didn't see it, but I watched it a while ago. I can't really remember. But it was like just the fact that the movie was called The Last Samurai and it had Tom Cruise on the cover. People just they shit their pants. They couldn't have it, and. I just, I, I don't know where that line is drawn, where... With, well, even more recently, uh, people that, uh, people had a problem with that, um, what was it, The Great Wall, that one movie with Matt Damon, yeah. and it's like, oh, the, you know, uh, you whitewashed the character, which I never saw that movie, but from what I remember hearing, it was like, it's supposed to be like, you know, I don't know if he was English or whatever, but like, you know, this white yeah. guy's like, he is kind of like a journeyman and he finds himself here. At the Great Wall, yeah. Uh, you know, and then he finds out what they are fighting and he, you know, tries to help whichever way well, he see, can. Well, that, um, see, that kind of story almost sounds like a white writer was like, I really want to write a story about the Great Wall of China and, you know, wars going on about the, you know, involving the wall. But since I'm white, I, ha- I have to write about a white character, so I'm yeah. just going to throw that in instead. Like, okay, if you, uh, like a slumdog millionaire could, I don't, I'm assuming it was an Indian who wrote that story or the book, movie or whatever. If you, like, could, could a white person write that story? It's like about Indian kids, like, getting on, like, a game show or something, winning lots of money, I think, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, because it was like, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? But what, yeah. that version of, of it. Like well, you, like you brought up like the word segregation. I feel like that is kind of happening in literature right now, and it bothers me to a degree because 
I don't necessarily just want to have my protagonists always be straight white males. Yeah. I want to write about other characters and the, you know, kind of have the point of view of other characters. But I, you know, we get told you can't do that now or people won't buy, you know, people won't buy your shit if you are writing about these kind of topics because you haven't lived them. But is it most literature? I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, the write what you know, but a lot of literature is based on things that you might not have actually been involved with or experienced yourself, yeah. but you're imagining what it's like. I mean, and, and that's when the research and stuff comes in, too. You yeah. say, you say you're accurate in, in that part, or um, that's when it's nice to have money, because then maybe you could go, like, travel to some of these African, you know, yeah. uh, countries and stuff like that, too. Then maybe... You, to absorb that culture more so it's more real when you and you write it. I mean, that would be the ideal situation, but... I feel like you can't win in a lot of situations because, like, Hemingway, you know, he gets called a misogynist and, try, you know, fake overly manly man and type of stuff, but he was literally just writing what happened to him and his experiences in life. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote about, you know, stories about people drinking and going to fancy parties because that's what he did. And, uh... I, I just don't know why we have to, like, why can't we just let you create art? And if it sucks, then just say, hey, okay, that's shitty, whatever. But if it's good, why does it matter the race or sexual orientation or gender of the author? I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's that important. I think it's the important thing is a good story. That's what I always focused on mm-hmm. is a story firsthand. Now, I will say, though, like we were reading this list, like we kind of brought up earlier, if you know you had a white American author who never never even been to Africa, writing you know writing about Somalian pirates and what it's like living in that area, would you even if it was written well, would you kind of take it with a grain of salt? Would you be like, ah, I don't know about this? Again, I think that goes that that all it all factors on the quality of the, the writing. The writing, yeah. Maybe we should have a whole episode dedicated to this topic. Or we, I don't think we're going to ever solve anything. No. And we've talked about it before in multiple episodes. Yeah. It's just, it, it seems disappointing because like you said, we know we always write about, you know, random monsters and stuff because we don't have a country where we have these huge obstacles. I mean, we have bad shit going on, but it's never anything that's uh, on scale with what's happening happening in like Africa or Mexico no. or countries like you know countries. I, and I do have this one idea for a story. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Well, I figured I want to talk to you about it off mic though, just in case if uh, it doesn't pan out. You like you know what I mean? I don't want to put any false false you know out there and in, have, in case it's just super racist. Yeah, or, or, not, <laughs> even, or not even so much racist, but just if 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 it would fly, you know what I mean? Yeah. But so I got this the story right. These two Jewish gentlemen. Both of them walk into a bar. One opens a deli, one opens a bank. <laughs> no, that's that's the only thing I know about Jewish culture is they have banks and delis, right? And curly hair. Or curly sideburns. Curly sideburns. That's a weird thing, too. It's like, we can't make fun of Jewish people unless you're Jewish. But they look like normal white people for the well, most part. Well, it's like, Jewish is like, it's supposed to be a religion, but they kind of t- treat it like a race. Well, it's both. Yeah, it is. It's weird. Strange. Being Irish isn't a race. Race. Irish is not. I don't know. No, Irish is a race. It's just not. No, that's just a country. But if you're I mean, Irish. Yeah. You're not. That's not your race. That's you're just a white person. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I just don't like the whole labeling. 
Just be a human. Be a human that does shit. A couple of generations from now, we're all going to be gray. I can't fucking wait. I wish I could be in that generation. I'm hoping they can... You know what? I I don't want them to, like, put my head into some kind of robotic conscience. I just want to die and be, like, thrown in a ditch and be done with it. I feel like our time's passed already. That's my problem. I feel like our time's passed before it started. Yeah, like, it it was over before we were even born. Like, Like, we were two. If you think about our generation of white guys in America, or just millennials in America, for that matter... We kind of had the shitty end of the straw. It's just like we were kids during a time where like TV and stuff was cool. And then we just had like two or three thousand people die on 9-11. And then nothing ever got better after that. Like the country just was like, ah, it's shitty now. We had mm-hmm. recession and cost of living's too high. It's like nothing good happened after that. And it's weird too because like the entertainment there, like entertainment when we were young, like the shows and the cartoons, all the kids stuff like that, was probably not it's very adult. Yeah, it's very adult. And then you look at like kids shows now, it's so dumb and watered down. It's yeah, like mind numbing. It's difficult and like shark dude. And then like most of them now, like if you like, because sometimes when I'm like I'm off and. You know, I'm flipping through the channels and, like, you know, because, like, Cartoon Network, that's, like, the only kind of, you know, kids shows that they have, you know. And, like, most of their shows aren't even, like, like 10, 15 minutes long, like. kids don't have attention span anymore. And they just play a whole bunch of them, but, like, you know, went after each other instead of just having, like, a half an hour cartoon show. Well, you can still watch, like, a Dexter's Lab and it's good. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, that's funny. I like this show and you're an adult. You watch, like, a... Like, one of them fucking... Like, I don't like the art style either, that digital fucking filmy shit they come up with now. But you watch, like, one of those shows, and it's just dog shit. You know what? I've almost picked up a couple times where I'll see it work, and they have, like, the complete sections out, like, the Angry Beavers. Yeah, there's a good one. Or Ah Real Monsters. Yeah, Like, that stuff, like, I still just like, oh, I want to get those, but... Well, I'm never going to watch them, and when I'm do watching them, like, I shouldn't be watching I, I should be doing other things other than watching these cartoon shows from whenever I was a child, like. Yes. Uh, all right, we're going too far off topic. Let's wrap this bitch up. You lovely folks who have stuck around this long, God bless you. Yeah. Um, I recommend checking out some African authors and their works and doing what we plan on doing, which is expanding your not just your reading, but maybe you're writing as well. So yeah. I feel like that's what we started these kind of episodes for is because I want to expand not just my potential, but the style and the way I write and the way I view writing. Because we have, you know, you start off, you just have kind of Americanized view of how writing is done. But even if you just read British writing, it's different and the viewpoints are different. And uh, I think you just should uh, go international. Change up your, even if it's just one book every few months or you know, a couple books a year that are different from your normal reading. Especially uh, especially considering how with, like, we can see the stats on the views that we get, you know, on the, on our websites for things and stuff like that. And we do get a decent... Like, we don't get... A, granted, most of it is from America, but we do get, like, a good, like... Chunk international yeah, followers. So yeah, so we should try to, you know, after reading some of these, try, like, maybe go back to the flash fiction style of writing some kind of, yeah. you know... To just different t- test styles. it out and see how it plays over there. I think that's a good idea. Um, if you folks want to send your praise to how well I read those names and other things, <laughs> you can hit us up at drunkapenwriting.com. Please follow us on the old Twitter at drunkpenwriting. Get us up on Facebook at drunkapenwriting. 
if you want to. Because I'm getting kind of popular now. I'm getting lots of feedback and stuff. So you can go to Mr. Caleb James 1986 on Twitter. If you want to follow me. Do you want to throw yours out there, Spencer? Oh, uh, it's uh, Spencer Church uh, 69 at... Mm, yeah, 69. Yeah. That's, that goes first. Yeah. <laughs> at, 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 at. You get that Spencer Church 69. Get sweet from behind. Mm. You don't even like use Twitter usually. You just look at no. stuff. Yeah, well, even even looking on Twitter has been very. Um, you need to step it up, Spencer. I do need to step it up. Get off the shitty Facebook. Go on Twitter. Oh wait, I don't even fucking post anything on Facebook either. How are you gonna be a writer if you don't have an audience? I don't know. I'm not your audience. You gotta have a bigger audience. <laughs> you need need more than one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys took something away from this, guys, ladies, non-binary folks. Got to be very specific these days. Yeah. Or else you'll get in trouble. We don't need that trouble. I mean, maybe a little controversy gets you some. Hey, they say uh, bad press is better than no press, you know? Maybe it's time we get a little edgy and offend some people. Go super right wing one episode, go super left wing the next. <laughs> Just confuse people. <laughs> what the fuck is this show about? <laughs> All right. America. You. Ah, can you even say people anymore? Fuck. I don't know if you're like one of those foxkins or whatever they are. You listeners. Yes. Have. What, the what if I don't have you? <laughs> Anyone who hears the words. Damn it. Partakes in this podcast. Anyone anywhere of all races, genders, sexual stuff and, and creeds, creeds and things and Martians. And if you live on Earth, <laughs> have a wonderful week. <laughs> have a wonderful night. <laughs> <laughs>